0: everybody and welcome to the stitch please podcast. I am honored and delighted to be talking today with Chacha in Hudson who is um, a designer, a creative and um, and a convener of the Social Cafe, which is a creative hub in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Chacha, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me, Lisa. I'm so excited to be here.
0: All right, so let's get started. I'm so excited to hear about how you came to be where you are now. Uh, Can you talk a bit about your sewing background? Like, where does your sewing story begin?
1: Okay, so my sewing story begins at the age of 12. So I started sewing at the age of 12, and... um, It was more so me getting interested in clothing construction and pattern making. I never set out to be a designer at all. That wasn't in my mind at all. It was more so being intrigued by how pieces come together, kind of like a puzzle. Um, So that's where I started. And um, it just, you know, developed from there, I guess. That's
0: really, it's really so impressive because I think that lots of folks start with Um, being an interest in sewing, or maybe they've had some folks, did you have any particular mentors um, or family members or, you know, like moms or grandmas or aunties or somebody else that sewed that kind of was a model for you? Or did this kind of curiosity just come upon you all on its own?
1: Well, not exactly. When I first started, I didn't know that um, some people in my family were sewing or had sewn before. So I found out that my great aunt's were actually seamstresses, and they made their own clothes, and I had no idea at all. Um, I did receive one class from uh, one of my aunts the day before I started a Saturday sewing school when I was 12. Uh, Besides that, I wasn't around them when they were sewing, and most of them had passed on by the time I started sewing.
0: So you started, so it's kind of like you kind of stepped into maybe a family. It wasn't a huge family tradition, even though you had individual folks in your family who, unbeknownst to you, did so. It's like sewing was something you were kind of doing, like, kind of on your own. Um, you got one lesson from a relative, um, but for most of them, you didn't realize that they, that you had this kind of sewing, you know, family history. And right, I had you, no idea. And so tell me about this um, Saturday sewing school. That sounds fun, but it also sounds like something I'm not sure if I was a 12-year-old that I would have been really excited about. I I probably would have thought, you just want to get rid of me on a Saturday.
1: (laughs) Okay, well, you'll understand more, excuse me, when I tell you the story. So it was a Saturday morning class. So I think class started uh, somewhere between 9 and 10 o'clock. And I was a 12-year-old girl who went to school during the week and had to take sewing classes or desired to take sewing classes on the weekend. Um, But I soon realized that waking up early in the morning on a Saturday was not something that I wanted to do. So I actually missed three classes. And if you miss three classes, even if you pay for it, um, you get kicked out of class and you can't come back.
0: Oh, my and
1: gosh. Yes, and that's exactly what happened to me. I got kicked out of class, and I couldn't come back. And they actually gave my spot to somebody that I knew, which was so funny. Um, but I continued on. It didn't uh, deter me from continuing. The so self.
0: you had signed up for this class, or so your parents had signed you up for this class, and your mm-hmm. parents had paid, they had paid their U.S. dollars for this class. Mm-hmm. And Cha-Cha was like, I already go to school five days a week. <laughs> And um, I am not getting up at nine o'clock or ten o'clock or eight thirty even in the morning to get to Saturday sewing school. So, no, ma'am. Sorry, not sorry. Y'all lost your money, but you know, uh, my
1: friend is really enjoying it. So, I guess it's not all wasted. Yeah, I think I only did one project. I remember doing pajama pants, and that was about it.
0: That is so funny. So, like you got put out of class, mm-hmm. <laughs> you kicked out of sewing class,, mm-hmm. but you still were interested in sewing, you still were like hey i I could still do this just because I get kicked out of sewing class. Does't mean you know that ain't no thing that ain't no problem right, um, because it's not
1: like I stopped going because I wasn't interested, you know, I was forced not to go because I didn't come to some classes um." But, yeah, I was still into it. I still wanted to do it. My mom knew I still wanted to do it, so I just kept going and she supported me one hundred percent
0: That's really amazing. Oh my so this was so basically you had you violated a policy. They had a policy that said if you miss three classes, you will be put out, and you miss three classes, and that was that. but it wasn't enough to dampen your um it wasn't enough to dampen your enthusiasm for sewing. So you kind of. No, not at all. So you kind of, you stuck with it. You stuck with it. And you stuck with it so much that you ended up going to college and studying this. So was there I anything, did. was there anything like exciting between like being kicked out of sewing class at age 12 to (laughs) doing a sewing related profession in college. Um, what happened in those intervening years? Did you just stop not going to class
1: or (laughs) like what,
0: where did this transition happen?
1: Okay. So let's talk about the five years in between, because I went to college at 17. Uh, so with the five years in between, I kept sewing, I was making clothes for myself and then my friends would see my clothes and say that they wanted things made. I actually had a book that went around my high school and excuse me. It had different sketches in it that I was sketching. People would put their names next to it if they wanted to buy it.
0: (laughs) (gasps) Wait a minute. Wait, you sold the sketches or you sold the garments you made from the sketches? I sold the garments I made from the sketches. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. So I thought I was doing good by selling candy to my friends at school. You oh, no, I sold candy, candy garments.
1: <laughs> I, I've been an entrepreneur for a long time. I sold candy, too. Oh my gosh. So you,
0: (laughs) so you had a sketchbook and people could kind of place orders. It's like, well, this is, this is my, this is this week's design. Mm -hmm. And if you are interested in this, be sure to put your name down
1: and, um, I will make it for you. Wow. Yep. That was my thing. And also doing prom dresses. So I made my own prom gown. I made prom gowns for other people in my school. Um, so I was just, you know, known as the fashion person. I would throw these fashion shows for my school. I went to a very small school, so altogether, grades 9 through 12, it was maybe about 250 of us.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: So it was very small, and I was known for fashion throughout high school. So I would even make clothes for the teachers, too, because some of the teachers modeled in the runway shows that I put on.
0: Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. This is incredible. So you were putting on runway shows throughout high school or during your high school years. And that just, it shows such great creativity as well as determination. Because I could tell you, if I could tell you an actual true story, I failed out of a gymnastics class Mm -hmm. um, because I like... You know, I was little and really skinny and I could, there was something I couldn't do. I had the little skinny, tiny body of a gymnast, but I didn't have any of the strength or the power. And so I think the coach called me like spaghetti arms or spaghetti legs. And oh I was no. like, I know. And I was like, I'm done with gymnastics. it's is dead to me.
1: And oh so, gosh <laughs> so, adults really have to realize the things that they say to kids and how it affects them Sheesh. yeah
0: and so like you know I mean so for me I'm like who knows I could have been an amazingly great gymnast probably not but I could have been <laughs> but I was like nope so for me me if, if I had got kicked out of sewing class I would probably not be sewing because I'm just like I'm holding a grudge for the rest of my life instead but you got kicked out you were like you know what that's just a class they that class doesn't control what my actual sewing practice is going to be. And so you kind of took that and just took over the high school kind of, I mean, and making clothes for the doggone teachers, that is something <laughs> I have never heard of in all of my days. Like They were so school. supportive. They were so supportive. I would be supportive of you too, if you were making me clothes. Uh, but that's yeah. not to
1: say, I don't, I don't want everybody to think that, you know, I was just such an amazing designer pattern maker and seamstress no, it, it wasn't like that. Um, it took a lot of practice to get to where I am now. And in high school, I look back on some pictures like, what was I thinking? That was not put together
0: correctly. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people look back on their high school years and might have a few regrets or think, why did I wear that outfit for picture day? Was that was I really putting my best foot forward? I'm sure I was. I'm sure I thought I was. Right. Um, but I mean, the idea that you can look back at garments and, that you've made, that you have a history of from such a long time ago, and just be like, oh, I could grow. And, like, well, obviously, you can grow because you're going from being a teenager to being an adult. You're going from someone who was training themselves to then stepping into some more formal training. Mm-hmm. But what you got is this kind of really invaluable practice in a community of trust, right? You have a small high school, you have, um, you know, you have peers, you have teachers and advisors who want the best for you and who are going to support you. And yeah, and I think that you just made you made the most out of, you made the most out of that opportunity. So I thought that was that sounds really wonderful. So tell me about school and um, where what did you study when you said you studied fashion? What was like your concentration and um, how did that come about?
1: Okay, so the story is funny, uh, but I got my bachelor's degree in fashion design uh, from the Art Institute of Philadelphia. But um, initially, I only applied to one school. I applied to SCAD, Savannah College of Art and Design. Yes, yes. And yes. <laughs> my mom took me down to SCAD. Uh, we drove from Philadelphia. Uh, oh my gosh! All the yes, way to Savannah, to Savannah, Georgia. Very long ride, and I'm sure that my mom was tired of me because when we got down there, I said, "Mom, this is too far." And she said, "You knew how far away it was before we drove down." <laughs> so yes, yes, uh, we drove all the way down there, and I decided not to go to SCAD because it was too far away from my family.
0: Man, mm-hmm. your mother has mm-hmm. the patience—the patience of Job. If you knew my mother, you
1: would say the same thing. Everybody says the same thing.
0: I mean. I- I'm saying that because this story and the fact that you can that you have lived to tell this story yes. um suggests to me that she has the patience of Job. She does. Oh my God. She and does. She God you. bless How her. How many hours is that from Philly down to I mean cuz we've driven I live in Virginia so I'm about maybe I think 5 or 6 hours from you in Philadelphia. Um and so we've driven down to Savannah and that's not a short drive for us.
1: No, I think and it was so, about seven, 17 hours or
0: something like that. Wow. So all it took was 17 hours in a car. Uh And you were like, yeah, you know what? On second thought, no.
1: (laughs) That's exactly what happened. And after that, I had to figure out what the next move was going to be because I needed to go to school. So um, I ended up right downtown in downtown Philadelphia going to school.
0: Philadelphia has a lot of really great schools. There's a lot of really great schools there. We do. And so you decided then to go to the, what did you call it? The, uh, the Art, Inst- Art Institute of Philadelphia. The Art Institute of Philadelphia. Oh, that's just amazing. Amazing. So yes. tell,
1: so you, did you study fashion design? Yeah. So my, um, my degree is in, my bachelor's degree is in fashion design and my master's degree is in fashion and apparel studies from the University of Delaware.
0: Excellent. So tell me about what does a fashion design uh, major or concentration require? What kind of courses did you take when you were at um, the Art Institute?
1: Uh, So at the Art Institute, uh, we took, oh gosh, all types of fashion courses. We had draping, we had pattern making, we had uh, portfolio prep classes, um, learning to work with uh, computer-aided design, so Illustrator, Photoshop, so that you can build your portfolio, different things like that. But then we also, a lot of people didn't think that we would take like the general ed classes because it's the art institute. But no, we had to take every class that anyone at a university or another college would have to take. So
0: in addition to taking things like, you know, like English and math and maybe a language, sociology or history, you did all of those things in addition to classes that were more
1: art focused. Right. And I believe the art classes were more so in the junior and senior year. We may have had uh, a few in our sophomore year, but not starting off, not as a freshman.
0: Okay. So not starting off. Okay. I understand. Mm -hmm. So what's so interesting to me about this is this balance between um, what's called a liberal arts curriculum, which is the kind of the um, you know, you know, science and literature and cultural studies and stuff, plus the art. Um, and arts is an important part of liberal arts as well. So do you have a favorite class that you remember? Do you remember the classes that you liked the most um, during your time at um, the Art Institute?
1: Actually, the class that I liked the most was not a fashion class. The class I liked to m- the most was called um, Effective Speaking.
0: Oh, Interesting. Mm -hmm. Like a public speaking class?
1: Yep. Yep. I remember that class. I don't remember a whole lot of things about, I don't know, last week, but I remember that class (laughs) so vividly. And I remember that for my project, my final project, um, I did a demo on teaching people how to braid hair. (gasps) What? (laughs) You braid hair? (laughs) What is it with these talented people? This is so unfair. I I cannot... (laughs) Oh my I God. Do not, okay. So I'm one of those people that I don't really like to touch my hair. I don't like to do much to my hair and I don't like to spend a lot of time on it. But my okay. mom on the other hand is great at braiding. She worked her way through school by braiding. So wow. maybe that's where I get it from, but I don't braid for other people. I barely braid my own hair, but I just remember in that class, I decided like, okay, for this public speaking class, I'm going to do a demo on, uh, instructing people how to braid hair. And it came out so good. Um, yeah, I, I, I love public speaking.
0: Oh my gosh, that is really wonderful. It's funny because you would think about the classes you've taken like in draping and design and illustration and all of the stuff that you had to learn about the computer and social media and digital design and graphic design, that those would be the ones that seem to be more, um, you know, relevant for the work that you're doing right now. (laughs) When in fact, you're like, it's like, no, it's being able to talk effectively about what I'm doing Mm -hmm. that can sometimes open the door to so many opportunities.
1: Well, that and you know what? Um, I'm actually going to speak on something that I haven't I haven't actually talked about since it happened. So I guess this would be more like an exclusive. But I was pretty um, bitter and a little tainted by um, something that happened in the school. So my senior year or my last semester in school, I was taking one class, which was my last um, my final collection class and then I was also interning four days a week at Swee in New York um, mm-hmm. and I came to graduation and they told me at graduation that I was not graduating because uh, my teacher did not pass my collection and this is something that I've never talked about at all uh, which kind of it, it really uh, put a sour taste in my mouth as far as the design classes, there.
0: Oh my goodness. I mm. am so mm. sorry. That is really frustrating. I mean, you would think that you could get feedback earlier than like coming to the doggone ceremony. I am so oh, sorry we, that happened we did, to
1: a, you. we did a critique and everything. I had no idea. No Wait, idea. Wait, the teacher, the professor
0: gave you a critique
1: and didn't yeah, the say The whole that. class did a critique. It was a whole portfolio and final collection critique and i had no idea so the following semester cuz we were on a quarter system so i graduated 3 months after that um because we were on the quarter system but i had to retake that class
0: oh what <laughs> I a know. disappointment what I a know.
1: disappointment
0: oh my goodness but oh, i also
1: I'm... wanted to say that because um just from you know appearances a lot of people think that you know a lot of people kind of glide through or have an easy time all the way through and that's that's not the case. That's not the case for a lot of us. A lot of us have gone through a lot of things that could have discouraged us or stopped us. Um, but we keep persevering.
0: And you are so resilient. I'm like, that school didn't know who they were messing with. You could be (laughs) like, you know what? I got kicked out of sewing class at 12 years old and bam, I'm still here. So (laughs) you in this little last three credit class, I need to finish up. Okay, whatever. Watch me work. <laughs> <laughs> it had because me down for a it. little while,
1: but you know, I got well, I'm,
0: sure, I'm sure it did. I'm sure it did. So tell me about, um, you said you were interning, um, at Anasui in the, in New York. What mm-hmm. was that like? What kind of, what does that involve? Of course I've never done anything like that. So I'm just interested.
1: Well, it was amazing. I was actually working in the production department, um, for half the time. But then I think that uh, their receptionist left for one reason or another, and they like my speaking voice. So for the rest of my internship, I was put on the phones. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, mean, it's better than, you know, some people when they have internships, the whole internship, they're uh, getting coffee and things like that. I would rather answer the phone. Um, Right. But I got a chance to like talk to celebrities when they would call in and things like that. So that's a good thing. That's Um, fun. (laughs) That is
0: fun. So you had a good time and you and were you commuting back and forth? Because I know Philly and New York aren't that far, but maybe they're not that close to do every day.
1: No, I was staying with family in Jersey. um, Oh, okay. Okay. So four days a week I would stay in Jersey and just take that commute because they were closer to kind of like. Newark area, which is not that far from New York, I just took one bus.
0: Okay, cool, cool. So, can we just transition to talk a bit about some of the teaching that you've done? I mean, you've described um, your work um, in um, at the Art Institute, um, as well as some of the like that very final difficulty getting over that very last hurdle um, to for graduation. Can you talk about what it means now for you to be doing some teaching? You were saying I read in your portfolio that you do some teaching at um, at the University of Delaware. Can you share some information <laughs> about that? About what that's like? What what that's been? Like?
1: Uh, Yeah, sure. I absolutely love teaching. I really think that that's what I was put on this earth to do, even if it's not teaching fashion design, any type of teaching. I think that's my calling. So um, I was an adjunct professor at the University of Delaware where I taught clothing construction and design innovation. Um, I also taught continuing education at Moore College of Art and Design right here in Philadelphia. And yeah, and I've taught uh, entrepreneurship at different high schools. And last year, excuse me, last year I had the privilege of being able to teach at two schools in Ghana, two fashion schools. Which was oh, really that's
0: scary. Wonderful. That's wonderful. Two fashion schools in Ghana. That's because I think that the, the fashion scene in Ghana, Nigeria, um, and so many places on the continent is just Senegal. It's just fire. Mm-hmm. You know? It just mm-hmm. really is. It's really great. Okay, so um, I want to ask about your design. I'm so curious about, like, both your classes, the ones that you were teaching, the clothing, construction, and design innovation. Mm-hmm. Of those two classes, do you have a favorite project or a favorite story um, that, you re- that you might recall right now about what it means? Like, it's, it's kind of like you're on the other side of the table right now um, when you're teaching students and you're evaluating them and you're helping to train them. Um, is it? I know, and I know you talk about your passion for teaching, which is really clear. Um, can you talk about um, something that you like about in terms of the clothing construction or the design design innovation class that was particularly meaningful
1: to you? Well, okay. So in my design innovation class, uh, it wasn't just fashion design; it was also fashion merchandising students, and then it was an elective. So. Uh, People from other majors could come in and sit in on the class, Um, whether they wanted to get a grade or not was up to them. But uh, what stood out to me teaching this class is that starting off, all of the fashion merchandising students are like, I can't do this. I'm not creative. And it's just like, no, no, we're all creative. And I had yeah. to <laughs> I had to go back and forth with them all the time. Why do we have to do this? I'm not creative. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to draw. I don't know how to paint. I don't know how to. And it's just like, do what you can. It's all about the effort that you're putting into it. And the projects that these students were able to come up with was just amazing. And they had no idea that they could do things like that. And I
0: think that that's like the power of, of, of a good teacher is someone who believes that you can do something even when you don't believe it yet. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what you were giving your students. You know, that's what you are giving them. You have merchandisers who are like, no, 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 I don't make, I don't make, I, just, I merchandise. And it's like, no, 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 <laughs> that is a form of making. Like, right. you know, you are you are helping to sell something. And, you know, in order to do that, you have to be creative. So you're already halfway there.
1: Yeah, they so. have to just change their thoughts about what creativity is, um, and yes. yeah, because it's within all of them. If it wasn't, then they wouldn't be in fashion merchandising. That wouldn't be that wouldn't be the major for them.
0: That would not be what they choose. That is mm-hmm. right. That is so right. Excellent. Well, thank you. I'm going to let's take a we're going to take a quick break, everyone. And when we come back, I'm going to continue this conversation uh, with Chacha Hudson, who is um, a designer and a teacher and a convener of this amazing social cafe in Philadelphia. Um, and when we come back, we're going to talk more about the social cafe itself as a creative hub. So stay tuned. at Stitch Please the official podcast of Black Women Stitch we talk a lot about sewing but if you want to see and not just hear about some of the things we've been discussing feel free to join us on the socials you can find us at Stitch Please on Facebook and you can also find us on Instagram at Black Women's Stitch. You can find photos of projects that we've been working on, really interesting social commentary. And on Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, you can join Black Women Stitch for a live Instagram chat. Again, that's every Thursday at 3 p.m. So find us on the socials. Follow up with us. We are happy to hear your direct messages. You can reach out to us at the Black Women's Stitch page on Instagram, and we'll help you get your stitch together. welcome back everybody um, to the stitch please podcast the official podcast of black womens stitch um, I'm Lisa your host and we are talking today with chacha Hudson of the social cafe um, she was telling us in the previous segment about her background about the educations that she's has that the education that she has received as well as that she's given um, in fashion um, and design and innovation and now we're going to see how she transforms these ideas into an actual physical building and physical location um tell us more about the social cafe um i know that this is a space i know that i've been following the social cafe since you all first launched um i already had plans to come up for some of your events yes Um, so i'm really excited about this place so can you just talk about the space itself when it started why it started what were some of your goals behind beginning this cafe
1: Yeah, sure. So the social cafe is an incubator and a creative co-working space for female entrepreneurs. Um, I had this idea, I think it was back in 2016, where I said I wanted to open up a space. I already had a space then, and the space was more so for me teaching classes, not necessarily a co-working space. Um, But when I went to the University of Delaware, <clears throat> Excuse me, when I went to the University of Delaware for my master's degree, uh, there was <clears throat> a program called the Horn Entrepreneurship Program. And at Horn Entrepreneurship, they help you to get your business off the ground, they provide mentorship. It was just awesome. So I applied for um, a pitch competition called Hen Hatch. And for a Hen Hatch, I was actually a semifinalist, I didn't make it to the final round. Um, but I used that critique to be able to make my business plan better. And I knew that if I opened up the space and was able to show some kind of traction by the following year, then it was a good chance that I would be able to make it to the finals. So I made it to the finals in 2018 and, um, I received $8,400 to, hey. ca- yes, to put towards the social cafe. Yes. The put towards social cafe. Um, and, our doors were already open. Um, no, actually that was last year. I got the grant, um, in 2019, but we opened in October, 2018 and I used my own savings. I used money from members who wanted to start and they put up money before the doors even open so that we can open our doors on October 5th, uh, 2018.
0: So you opened on 2018 and this was Mm -hmm. kind of like it was almost like um, extending the incubator in some ways. Right. Because you were like, if I can get if I can float this, then I know that I'll be well positioned to do a better job in that competition. So it's kind of like you were like you opened it with the vision of planning to win.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what happened.
0: And I just, I just think that it's so beautiful and so affirming and such a great message. You know what I mean? Because I think sometimes you want to, like, I can't start until I have all the ducks in a row and I have to have everything and I have to know everything. And if you do it that way, then you won't hardly do anything, you know,
1: like. Yeah, you'll get stuck in that place of planning and you'll be planning forever. (laughs) That's usually how it happens. That is.
0: That is a beautiful phrase. You get stuck in the phase of planning, and then you'll be planning forever. That is absolutely true. That is ab- so. So, like, I remember the enthusiasm that I had. I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is going to be amazing!" And I'm like, "I do live like six hours away, so it's not like to pop up there." <laughs> but I was like, "I don't know why I was so excited. Like, it was like this is happening right in my own backyard." But I was so excited to see it grow, and um, I just really love the space. I am a fan. I'm a fan Thank of the project. You. I'm a fan of Of the work that you've put up. So let's talk about some of the things that the Social Cafe has done in the, you know, since it's opened in 2018 and then the grand big opening in 2019. What are some of the things you all have put together um, during that time?
1: Okay, so let me start with how I was able to open because I didn't mention that. So um, that'll be a
0: good lesson for lots of us. So please share.
1: Yeah, sure. So This is what I tell people all the time when they ask me about uh, creating a new product or building their brand. You have to do customer discovery first. If you don't do customer discovery first, then you're coming up with solutions for problems that you don't even know about. And that's kind of the, the backwards way of doing it. You need to find out what the problems are, what your customers are experiencing, what their pain points are, and then from there you create solutions.
0: So this phrase, customer discovery, can you just explain what that means?
1: Okay. So customer discovery is the legwork that you do before you actually open up your business. You need to talk, if you think you know who your customer is, you need to talk to a lot of those people, the people that you think would be your core customers. You need to talk to them and see what problems they're having. Um, what issues they're having. So for instance, for the social cafe, excuse me, I interviewed uh, maybe about 700 people from my sewing group. And from there, I was able to find out that a lot of people don't like to work from home. That's one. Also, they're distracted when they're at home. So either by chores or by um, their family obligations, TV, anything. Because as you know, as beings, we can be distracted easily. Um, especially from work. (laughs) Yes, So it's that. And then they also lacked instruction. So there was nobody there. I mean, of course there's YouTube, but I think you can only go so far on YouTube, especially if you have questions because you need to be able to ask somebody in person and maybe they can show you how to proceed. Um, there was also, um, a lack of networking with like-minded people, So a lot of people uh, expressed to me that they wanted to talk to other people that were doing similar things so that they can get more ideas or so that they can bounce ideas off of other people. Um, And then also socially, they were lacking the social interaction um, between people because when you're home and you have a family, you know, a lot of your time is dedicated to either being at work or being with your family. You don't have a lot of social time. And what we've realized after opening is that we're like the family we never knew we needed or the friends we never knew we needed. Because when you grow up, you're like, you know, I don't necessarily need more friends. You know, I have friends from middle school, high school, college. I don't need more friends. And then they come to this space and realize, like, we were all meant (laughs) to be friends. We were all meant to be family and be connected. Um, And then also in the customer discovery, I found that um, people were looking for different ways to generate revenue um, and to have extra money outside of their regular nine to five jobs. So I interviewed people that have taken classes with me who are um, groundskeepers, teachers, artists, um, doctors, nurses, um, and these are people from all different backgrounds, and this was the common thread, that they needed a space to work, they were distracted, they needed instruction, and they also needed that community. And from there, I was able to um, come up with a business model or a revenue model so that I can meet all of those needs of my customers. So I would say for anybody who's starting to do anything new, you need to make sure that you are actually adding value to your customer's your customer's life and being able to, uh, help them with things that, you know, you may not have even thought that they needed help with.
0: That is great. This idea of doing this kind of research to find, like, I love this idea of you said like, you don't want to be solving a problem. That's not really a problem. You don't want to mm-hmm. provide a solution for something. That's not a problem. And this, I, and also it's, I think that something I've learned is that it's hard to make friends as an adult. I think that when you're a kid, you know, like you go to school, you go to Saturday sewing class until they kick you out. (laughs) You you know, you do these things, you know, you, you know, you have church, you know, that your social life is really controlled by you know, the context that you're put in, you know, if you're on a sports team or whatever. But when you get to be an adult, you know, pretty much basically work is where we spend a lot of our social time. And other people, you know, we might have like different, you know, you might have temple and synagogue, you know, and um and synagogue and church mm-hmm. and all these other, you might have other things. But for the most part, so much of your relationships are built based on those same kind of you know, childhood connections, you know, outside of sorority, you know, for example, and other civic organizations. But like to make friends with someone as adults, it can be a challenging and something that I have absolutely loved about Black Women's Stitch is this chance to make some of the best friends that I have had in life over sewing, um, and really building a strong community. And like, so when you said, you know, we are the family that we didn't know we needed or we are the, you know, that this kind of community, right. um, it's it's really, I believe that it's absolutely true. And so you were able to kind of do that in the co-working space. So when you open the doors, what kind of things started to happen? You know, like, so you've done your customer discovery, you've got a good plan. It's 2018, you are taking a step out on faith, you're putting your savings into this project, and then what happens?
1: Okay, so I started offering the pattern-making class, sewing classes, uh, brand building workshops and seminars, and just getting people in the door, letting them know that we're here. Um, Because for a few months, even though I did a lot of preparation beforehand, for a few months, people that were outside of my Um, initial soul and community didn't know we were here, especially since we're in a space. We're in a building with a lot of different artists, but there's no signage outside or you can't just look into our space because we're on the second floor to know what we do. So it's not like the average person that's walking by will know that we're in the space. So it was more so... um, Just building awareness and having more events here, even some that wasn't necessarily fashion related, we do have other art events here. So um, we have instructors that come in and do painting events. We also had poetry events, all within the arts, um, not necessarily uh, driven by fashion. But if people are coming in who don't necessarily do fashion or sew, more than likely they know other people who do sew or do do crafting or are looking to start a small business. Um, So that's how we were able to get the word out there.
0: And I mean, I feel like you've done so many like really cool things. Like when I look at some of the projects and some of the things that you all have sewn and you said you had, I remember saying that they were like like Mimi G, who is a big um, sewing influencer that she came through for an event. And it's just like, this is really very impressive. You know, I just, I, I just, I just feel like, you know, between all the obstacles that you were describing and how you just kept your spirit of resilience, your spirit of, of course I can do this. You know, of course I can do this. You know, I am going to continue. I know what to do. I'm going to follow these steps and I'm going to, you know, remain on my path undeterred. I think that that kind of, I think that kind of bravery um, can be hard to come by. You know what I mean? And I'm not sure if you would even call it bravery. You might just call it i don't know something else but it does seem <laughs> i call like, it life. i don't know would you call it bravery she's like no i don't know which bravery seems yeah, apt to me but i,
1: I, don't d- know. I just called it called it life because things happen and you just have to get over it <laughs>
0: well there
1: you go um <laughs>
0: I wanted to ask about um, some of the talk about your creativity, um, mm-hmm. your your sewing patterns, like some of the patterns and the dress patterns that you've made, the shoe covers that you did for um, the advanced selfies post that you did back in February of this year. Oh, like, yes. oh my goodness. Like some of the stuff that you have actually made and demonstrated for people to learn. It's just like really very cool.
1: Thank you. Really, so really. for a lot of the dresses that you probably saw, um, on social media, those are different projects that we make at our sip and soles. So you come in, you stay for a few hours. They usually last between three or four hours. Um, if we're not talking too much and, um, <laughs> all of the fabric, I think, is. I think, I think talking too much and
0: drinking too much is the point <laughs> of a sip and so I think that's like the purpose.
1: Well, you know what the sip and sell customer, uh, there's, there's two different ones. There's the ones that come to sip and watch everybody else sew, and then there's the ones that actually come in and sew. They're like, I would way. like to leave with either a buzz on or a new dress. Or a dress, you know, it's, yeah. it's either or. But
0: either way, I, we, I, we I all have I prefer both. I prefer both, but continue. Yes, I like both. Well, you know what? You're a little <laughs> more
1: advanced. So some well, of the people true. who
0: drink a little bit too much, you know, you can't have yeah, them around can't the store they can do it, yeah. I have, I have, I've have trained for this many years of um, <laughs> sipping and sewing at my own sewing machine has really helped me test the limits of sobriety in the sewing machine.
1: See, you have the practice in a lot of people don't come you know, in with that practice. Well,
0: you know what I say, Hey, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. Exactly. You know? exactly. Um, so just gotta be prepared. So you said you did these in the sip and sew that some of the, the dresses and the shoe covers and those kinds of projects.
1: Well, not the shoe covers. Um, the dresses, uh, different types of bags. We we've done a lot of different projects, jackets, um, but the shoe covers is actually a new venture. And I was actually supposed to launch in April um a line and their shoe cover tours. And um yeah. Wait, what did you call them again? A, you shoe said you were cover- a line A line of shoe cover tours. You see that with the accent, oh. shoe cover tours. Shoe cover tours. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to have
0: to get the spelling of that. We'll put it in the notes. Um, <laughs> so tell us, tell us about that. that. I'm telling you, you all should check out these images because, like, she's got this gorgeous, I'm looking at one of the blog posts from February, and you've got this kind of houndstooth dress going, and then you have these, the same houndstooth, like, over-the-knee style boot but you're saying that that's not actually a boot. It's a shoe cover.
1: No, it's a shoe cover. Um, yeah, so I was supposed to have been launching those in all different designs and collaborating with other artists um, for my fabrics for April. And unfortunately with uh, COVID, I wasn't able to, but that actually gives me more time to come out with some different designs and also to um, you know, work all of the kinks out.
0: Well, it really is. It's a really fierce look. And I'm looking at, this is an image from um, from from March 27th that you have on the Instagram page of the Social Cafe, which will of course include a link to that in the show notes. Um, and it's just fire. It really Thank is. You. I mean, you got the head wrap, you got the dress, you got the, I mean, really like thigh high boots. Yeah, I received like, okay. so
1: much love from uh the pictures that I've taken with the shoe cover tours. Um, especially because being plus size, it's hard to find boots that go over the knee or thigh high boots.
0: Yes. Um even for yes. taller people
1: it's it's hard yes. to find thigh yes. high boots. And, yeah, I mean,
0: I could sometimes I have a difficult time like getting a boot to go over my calf, mm-hmm. you know. And I like and I'm just like, you know what, forget it. But so but you've found a great solution for that.
1: I have, and they're they're coming in different lengths. So uh they'll be to the calf, to the ankle, um, knee high, thigh high, and coming in all different colors and prints. And they can go on stiletto shoes. They can also go on to um like wedge shoes. So yeah, wow. we have lot of things coming out and I'm really excited about it.
0: That is incredible. I am very, very excited. And so let's talk really quickly about um, your mask making network. I know you've got a lot of great press um, about the mask making network that you've created. And that's just one of the ways that you've been able to transition some of your business model, I think, um, to basically talk about supporting um, makers during this time of crisis. Can you share a little bit about the mass making network, and then I'd love to talk about some more future projects.
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, as everyone knows, with COVID, a lot of people had to pivot their businesses and what they were doing to generate revenue or to add value to their customers during this time. So, um, I had to cancel a lot of classes. Um, I had to cancel contracts for rental agreements, and the members are not able to come into the space because we're not cleared to open, Um, which is actually fine with me now just because I definitely value my health over anything. Um, Yeah, but, you know, it saddens me as well because I really want my ladies to be here, and I miss that camaraderie and being able to you know, exchange information and laugh together, talk about different things together while still creating. So I miss that so much, but we'll be back. We'll be back. Um, so I started, uh, making masks maybe about, um, I'm going to say it was almost two months ago or about two months ago. And I've received a lot of press, um, for making masks, but, also, I received a lot of interest for people to buy masks. and since I'm making them myself, I'm not able to take on all of the orders that come my way. So I figured it would be great to have a mask making network because we were actually going to do um, a small well, it wasn't really a pivot, but it was more so um, an addition to our offerings by adding in a network on the website where people can actually purchase from the members of the cafe um, their garments and the things that they make um, straight from the website. So I'm like, okay, well, since we're not able to do that right now, how about we do the Mask Making Network so that people can buy masks uh, directly from the website, but from different designers from different areas, and we'll be able to ship all over the U.S. because my customers now for the Mask Making Network come from everywhere, Um, And I thought that it would, yeah, I thought that it would be really great to be able to include all of my members, but not just the members, but uh, the members of the So On community as a whole in this project that I'm doing so that they can generate extra revenue because I'm sure that is much needed right now. Uh, Just last month, we had over 10,000 unique visits to the website just to buy masks. So people are really looking to buy these masks. And I also have mask-making kits, which is also an idea for people who don't necessarily uh, have the manpower or desire to make the mask. You can make up kits where you have the pre-cut fabric, um, make sure you include instructions, pre-cut elastic, and ship that out to people. And it's a great way for families to get together um, and make masks and, you know, have something extra for the family to do a great family project.
0: Yeah. And it also cuts out so much of the guesswork. And like, if you don't do a lot of sewing, but you just happen to have a machine lying around, you know, I know some other folks that are, um, I know some folks that are also other doing kits and stuff. I think that's a that's a great idea, as well as as well as being a resource for people who want to buy masks. I know that I am not a big mask person. I, I of course wear a mask, and I know I talked about this in a previous episode. Um, and I didn't even want to sew any masks, and I've already <laughs> sewn 25. Um, right. and so I mean, it's just like if I feel like if you sew, someone is going to ask you, and now I'll be able to say. So people have been asking me, I'm like, okay, well, here's list people that i know that are sewing them that are making them and now i can also direct them to your um, mass making network so i think that's amazing Um, what what do you have coming up next what are some of the future projects you're thinking about um for the cafe um any other things that you are imagining um as in terms of expansion or growth or deepening certain connections
1: yes so um we were actually supposed to open up a second location in Wilmington, Delaware, by the end of this year, um, but because of everything going on, we're gonna we're gonna push that back. I don't know how far we're gonna push it back, but I'm thinking it's gonna be sometime in 2021, um, even if it's a smaller space than what we have here, because our space here is about 2,600 square feet. And mm-hmm. moving into a second location, I think we should uh, start off just a little bit smaller because I'm more familiar with the Philadelphia market than I am with the Women's in Delaware market. Um, so the plan is to open up that second location and then open up a third location within two years in downtown Philadelphia and then continue expanding from there. Um, I have thought about doing the franchise route. And other people have inquired, but we need to make sure that the operations are down here so that I can, you know, be able to help people repeat the success of the social cafe in different areas.
0: That sounds so cool like to to go from Wilmington to go from Wilmington Delaware and then back to downtown Philadelphia and then you never know um, where it could go next because the social cafe as you were saying people you know I know I for one certainly appreciate a a creative hub a creative space Um, especially I mean even though Mm -hmm. I have a studio here at my house it can be a lot of fun to get together and sew with other people yeah Um, and so like and the idea of having a space for that um, is really quite wonderful. So I just wanted to say, Tacha, thank you so much for talking with me today. Um, and thank you for sharing the future of the social cafe with us and just sharing so much about your past. Um, can you tell us where we can find you on the socials, where people can look up and find information about you? And I will be sure to include all this information in the show notes. But where can we find you on the socials?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, you can follow the Social Cafe, T H E S E W C I A L C A F E, uh, on Instagram. I'm not really on Twitter too much, but I do have a Twitter. Um, You can also follow us there on um, the Social Cafe on Facebook and also Cha Cha Nicole on Instagram. That's C H A, C H A N K O L E. And then you'll be able to see some of the pictures that. Lisa was talking about um because I like to do photography on the side that's like my thing my fun thing to do um and, add, and then digital enhancements to the photos so you'll be able to see some of those on my personal Instagram account also check out my Facebook group it's called sewing with cha-cha Nicole um if you put it in in Facebook sewing with it usually just comes up straight after that and um Yeah, check out our online classes as well and online courses on the website. And it's the socialcafe.com slash courses where you'll be able to see the online courses and then also sign up for the mailing List. You'll be able to uh, check out what's coming up next when we're reopening and what we'll be offering. Thank you so much, Lisa.
0: Oh, my gosh. This has been so exciting. I've been talking today with Chacha Hudson of the Social Cafe in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania and everywhere else, because she's not just in Philadelphia. She does go. She teaches in Delaware. She teaches in Ghana. um, She teaches online and you can find her work in all the social media places she just listed. Chacha, thank you again for being with us today.
1: Thank you, Lisa. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Stitch Please podcast, the official podcast of Black Women Stitch, the sewing group where Black lives matter. There are a variety of ways that you can support the program, and you're doing it right now by listening to the pro- by listening to the podcast. It does help us grow. Another way to do that is to rate the podcast, review it, subscribe to it. All of these things are ways that you can support the podcast without having to spend any money at all. If you would like to spend some money to support us, there are ways to do that as well. You can make direct donations to our Patreon site for monthly contributions, as well as one-time contributions to PayPal, Cash App, or Venmo. And finally, we have another cute, very adorable way for you to support the Black Women's Stitch Project. It's a pin, a P-I-N enamel lapel pin that's very cute. It's about two inches wide and one and a half inch tall, and it's of the Black Women's Stitch logo. And that is $15 with free shipping to the U.S. And so if you drop $15 in the uh, PayPal, Venmo, or Cash App accounts, and then send me your email, no, not email, you send me your mailing address to my email either at blackwomenstitch at gmail.com or you send me a direct message on the black women stitch instagram page we will put the pin in the mail to you Um, again free shipping 15 dollars for the pin and all of this goes to support the black women stitch project thank you again for joining us this week come back next week and we will help you get your stitch together